Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. On today's episode, we talk about conscience. So paragraph 1776 says very beautifully, deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice, ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. So his conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. If you look, uh, if, again, if you're following along in the physical catechism, there's a footnote at the end of this paragraph, footnote 47. If you look at the bottom, you'll see GS16. If you're unfamiliar with this abbreviation GS, just remember you can flip to the back of the catechism and look at the list of abbreviations. GS stands for Gaudium et Spes. And if you're unfamiliar with what that is, you could do a quick Google search and find that Gaudium et Spes is one of the 16 documents that came out of the Second Vatican Council. So of the 16 documents, four of them are referred to as pastoral constitutions, kind of like big, heavy-hitting writings from the Second Vatican Council, and one of them is Gaudium et Spes. So um, an encyclical is named by the first couple words or the first few words, um, the first line of that particular encyclical or writing, or in this case, pastoral constitution. And Gaudium et Spes in Latin simply means joy and hope. So the, the, the first line of this document talks about the joys and hopes. Um, actually, it's worth, worth reading. It's, it's a very nice line, if I might say, if I may say so. Uh, okay. The joys and the hopes, the griefs and the anxieties of the men of this age, especially those who are poor or in any way afflicted, these are the joys and hopes, the griefs and anxieties of the followers of Christ. So it speaks to the, the solidarity of the church and the world and um, talks about how the church is, is called to transform, to be in the world but not of it, and to transform uh, the world by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, so this footnote, uh, Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 16, um, you know, if you would like further reading, um, you could refer to this document and, and read more. Um, of the 16 documents that came out of the Second Vatican Council. I, I really like Gaudium et Spes. There's a number of really great lines in there. And then Dei Verbum, which is Latin for the Word of God, is about uh, scripture, the scriptures and the Word of God in the life of man, the life of the church. Um, so I recommend those two if you're looking to get into Vatican II documents. Um, so uh, another thing I want to point out from this first paragraph of our reading selection for today is... Um, again, that line, which I repeated, his conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. I think there is often this misunderstanding that conscience is, um, you know, it's often portrayed in like movies and books and maybe especially cartoons as uh, a little angel sitting on one shoulder and a little devil sitting on the other. And they kind of go back and forth whispering in a man or a woman's ears. And then the man or woman decides like, who will I listen to? To whom will I listen? Who's more convincing? Which offer is more appealing? And um, what 
what the catechism starts to get at here in this this first paragraph on conscience is that um, it's it's something deep within man. It's not this superficial like in the moment. Let's make a decision. We'll we'll talk in a few minutes about how we're not only called to follow our consciences, but we are called to form our consciences so that when we hit those difficult moments of like, ah, what should I do? What's good? What's right? What will lead to happiness? What am I made for? Um, We've been through prayer and study and reflection. We've been preparing and forming our conscience to then make the right decision, the good decision that will lead to true and lasting happiness. So I like this line, his conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary, okay, a place of of repose, um, of peace, of kind of stepping away from the craziness of the world or the craziness of life and and being in the quiet with God. Okay, there he is alone with God whose voice echoes in his depths. So it also speaks to um, the, the depth and the beauty and the richness of human life. Again, it's not this superficial little character on one shoulder, another character on the other, and like, what should I do? They're, you know, they're each like jabbering in my ear, but we, we go into the depths of our being and there we can be alone with God and listen to his voice, which, you know, is not there to simply say, like, do this and don't do that because I said so. But, hey, this is who you are. And this is the beauty, the joy, the richness, the depth, the life, the love for which you were made, for which I created you. And here's how we get there. Here's how we live out the fullness. Um, so follow me step by step by step. So rather than conscience being something that is like annoying or something we'd like to just like flick off our shoulders so that we can, you know, have a good time and not have anybody telling us what to do, um, it, it's a gift, uh, a gift God bestows upon us. And then we, in our, our humanity, our human capacity of having a rational intellect and a free will, um, we, we use it to, to live more deeply, truly beautifully. So paragraph 1777 goes on to say moral conscience present at the heart of the person enjoins him at the appropriate moment to do good and to avoid evil. It also judges particular choices, approving those that are good and denouncing those that are evil. So conscience not only helps us um, make a decision to know what is good and evil, to choose the good and avoid the evil, not choose the evil, but after we commit an act uh, after we, you know, think about something and then do it or not do it, uh, our conscience convicts us either that was good, helping us understand that was good, that was a good choice, or that was not a good choice. I- I'm now on the path towards unhappiness. How can I get back to the path for which I was created? 1778 goes on to say, conscience is a judgment of reason whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he is going to for- perform is in the process of performing, or has already completed. So again, our conscience helps us make decisions. Um, in the process of making them and carrying them out, it, it convicts us like, this is great, keep going, or this is not great, stop. And then after we've carried out an action, uh, it helps us know whether or not it was good or bad, and whether or not we need to change course. 1778, that first line, conscience is a judgment of reason by where the, uh, whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality. That, that line points to, um, again, our humanity. As human beings, we're made with a rational intellect and a free will. And conscience is a judgment of reasons where you're using our rational intellect to know something and to choose it. 
1779 says then, it is important for every person to be sufficiently present to himself in order to hear and follow the voice of his conscience. This requirement of interiority is all the more necessary as life often distracts us from any reflection, self-examination, or introspection. How good is that paragraph? It is important for every person to be sufficiently present to himself or to herself. This requirement of interiority is all the more necessary. So as human beings, we are called to be present to not only God, but to ourselves. Um, And I can only speak for our age because I've not lived in any other age. But I imagine that this age is is extra busy, extra distracting. And because of the advances in technology, so many of them are wonderful. Um, But because we have so many technological advances, we have so many opportunities for distraction. Uh, What does it say? As life often distracts us from any reflection, self-examination, or introspection. Um, So to achieve the happiness for which we were created, we need to not only listen to God, but and be present to him, but be present to ourselves and present to that conversation we are having with God in the depths of our being. We, by the grace of God, need to be brave enough to go into the depths of our being and be present to him and to ourselves. This paragraph harkens right back to the first paragraph in the section on moral conscience. Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law, blah, 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 blah. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. So God is calling us to the the depths of our being, the depths of our humanity, um, wherein, you know, he has this, this wellspring of life and love and truth and beauty and goodness for each and every one of us in the particular circumstances of our lives and in general for, for all of humanity. I find myself sometimes praying for the grace to to do this, to be present to myself and present to God, and to be okay in the quiet, and to be okay uh, not throwing myself into the midst of distractions. So I have two kind of flags for myself, or, or I, I notice that I'm getting off track when two things happen. Um, if I start watching a lot of TV at night, and you know, even though I'm tired, I'll just like you know, sit down on the couch, pop a a Netflix show and just like, just like veg out and kind of like put the thoughts aside and just like, just like be in front of the TV. When I do that um, a number of nights in a row or a number of weeks in a row, that's like a little red flag to myself that I'm like, ah, I start to question like, what am I not paying attention to? What am I avoiding? What am I too tired to address? Um, And God, give me the grace to just go to bed, like put aside the TV, um, which is not bad. And, you know, oftentimes it's it's like a nice thing to kind of like unwind to or, or relax with. But when I do it many nights in a row or many weeks in a row, um, you know, I pray for the grace, like, God, please just help me go to bed tonight, forget the TV so that I can wake up more refreshed and well-rested and renewed to then think about first, think about, and then eventually tackle whatever it is I need to to think about and do. Another red flag for myself or the way that I kind of avoid that interiority and um, allow myself to just get caught up in the distractions, I get really busy. I say yes to a lot of invites and fun activities. Again, great things with great people. Um, but I, 
whether consciously or subconsciously, I'll kind of like book our family calendar and book my personal calendar so that I just go from the one thing to the next and then like fall into bed or fall into the couch at the end of the night and then wake up and do it again. And, um, you know, I get into that like routine, busy, go, go, go. Um, so that again, either consciously or subconsciously, I don't have to think about certain things or like work on certain things in myself or chat with God about certain things. It's just easier to like, like, go, 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 not think about it or not like change something that needs to be changed. Another thing that comes to mind when I read this line in paragraph 1779 about being present to myself and about the importance of interiority. I think about, uh, a time I was chatting with with my brother Greg, and um, I was talking about a friend who is very health conscious in the way that she eats and cooks, um, but her her family is often sick. And I said something, basically like poking fun at her in like an eye rolly kind of way. And my brother Greg just very calmly, very kindly, he goes, "Don't do that." And I was like, "Whoa." Okay, I knew exactly what I was doing, whether I was like lazily or tiredly or, you know, gossiply, like trying to like be like quippy and, you know, make fun of a little situation. When he said, don't do that, oh my gosh, it like brought me to the interior part of myself where first, you know, the the concupiscent sinful part of myself was like a little 12-year-old petulant child on the playground like, well, you don't do that. (laughs) But then when I sat with it for the next week or two, and I've, you know, this was years ago, I've come back to it a handful of times, I thought, what a blessing, um, what a gift, even though it's fraternal correction is never fun to give nor to receive, but what a blessing that he, again, very gently, very charitably, fraternally, sisterly, <laughs> corrected me um, and said, don't do that. Like, no- nothing good is coming from that dumb comment where you're making fun of someone. Um, and so in, in being present to his comment, his, his gentle advice, and then being present to myself and my relationship with God, I was able to, you know, kind of think through that, pray through that and know, uh, perhaps be convicted by, by my conscience. Like, I, I don't want to be that person. I don't want, I don't want to do that kind of thing. Why? Because I know it's not good for me. It's not good for this other person. And I don't want other people to do that same thing to me. So why am I doing it? And so we pray for the grace to be present to ourselves, present to God, and to uh, come back to that interiority each day in, in daily prayer. Because there in the depths, we hear God, this voice that calls us to be who we were created to be and to live the life for which he created each of us. And that's a life of, of happiness. Paragraphs 1783 through 1785 then talk about the formation of conscience. Conscience must be informed and moral judgment enlightened. A well-formed conscience is, conscience is upright and truthful. It formulates its judgments according to reason. So again, pointing to the rational dimension of our humanity in conformity with the true good willed by the wisdom of the creator. The education of conscience is indispensable for human beings who are subjected to negative influences and tempted by sin to prefer their own judgment and to reject authoritative teachings. There's a big push on a number of fronts in our modern culture to, uh, you know, rail against authority, to stand up in this autonomous way. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to live my life. In the words of 
Empire Records, Damn the Man, Save the Empire. Um, but we see from this line, uh, the education of conscience, indispensable, da, 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 who are subjected to negative influences and tempted by sin to prefer their own judgment and to reject authoritative teachings. This is nothing new. As the Book of Wisdom, the Old Testament Book of Wisdom, also known as Ecclesiasticus, says there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, what, what we see today in our modern culture has been happening for decades, for millennia. Um, and again, it's that, that concupiscent part of us, that tendency or inclination to sin that says uh, what Adam and Eve said. Like, maybe God's holding out on me. I think I know better. And so I'm going to hedge my bets and choose for myself. Don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to submit myself to you, your will, your way of thinking, your way of doing things. I'm, I'm going to strike out on my own and do it my way. And so the catechism says the education of conscience is indispensable for human beings who are subjected to this because we, thanks to the fall, thanks to original sin, we have this tendency to reject authority, um, to kind of grasp at what we think is good rather than openly receive what God knows is good. Um, it's so important to not only follow our consciences, but to form them, to educate them through uh, prayer and study. 1784 goes on to say, the education of the conscience is a lifelong task. The education of the conscience guarantees freedom and engenders peace of heart. 1785 says, we are assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, aided by the witness of advice of others, witness or advice of others, and guided by the authoritative teaching of the church. So God and the church are not out to get us, not out to keep us down, um, or make us into their little subservient minions. But, but Jesus Christ, we believe, has entrusted to the church his teaching, which is the way, the truth, and the life, that which will set us free, uh, help us to be and become the men and women he created us to be, to live our humanity well so as to achieve, achieve its goal, its end, its purpose, which is happiness, not just in the next life, but in this life as well. That last line of paragraph 1785 points to um, how uh, God, God assists us in this. So it's, you know, it's not just up to us to, to form and follow our conscience and, and then we'll hear God and then we'll do the right thing and then we'll be happy. No, the, God is with us the whole time through the formation and the following. And even when we mess up, he then, you know, gives us, speaks to us in the depths of our hearts so that we are convicted. This was not right. This was very wrong and will not lead to happiness. So here we go. Let's go back. Okay, let's change course. And so let's end the first half of this episode on that hopeful note by looking at two, two more paragraphs. So paragraph 19, excuse me, 1794 says, A good and pure conscience is enlightened by true faith, for charity proceeds at the same time from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. It then says, quoting again Gaudium et Spes, The more a correct conscience prevails, the more do persons and groups turn aside from blind choice and try to be guided by objective standards of moral conduct. So this harkens back to maybe two or three episodes ago where the catechism said the more one chooses the good, the easier it is to do the good. So the more we form and then follow our consciences, the easier it is for uh, us as individuals and then as groups to continue to form and follow, to choose the good and to avoid what is evil, ultimately to choose the happiness that God has in store for us. This makes me think of of two things. Um, first, a friend had her children in this private school where the parents it was it wasn't a Catholic school, but I think it was a Christian school where the parents 
um, were very convicted about delaying cell phone use for their children. And so the, the parents of the school had come together and decided uh, we are not going to get smartphones for our children until, I don't know what age it was, 16, 18, may, maybe not even before graduation. But basically they decided as a group that they were going to delay getting cell phones for their children and then figure out and help the kids figure out other easy and creative ways to communicate with each other. And it really made it made it easier for them to navigate this uh, difficult decision, I think all parents are now experiencing or many parents experience. And then it made it easier for the kids, the fact that their parents came together in, um, you know, using their rational intellects and then lovingly choosing what they believed to be good. It made it easier for the kids to, you know, follow this course together as a group. So again, the more a correct conscience prevails, the more do persons and groups turn aside from blind choice and try to be guided by objective standards of moral conduct. So it's not, you know, the age of using a cell phone is not like a hard and fast rule or commandment. Um, But it illustrates that when individuals are intentionally trying to make good virtuous choices, and then come together as a group to make those choices together, it actually makes it easier for everyone, in this case, easier for their children. A second example that this, uh, this last paragraph makes me think of uh, comes from uh, a couple approached my parents, this is probably decades ago, and they had, the husband and wife had uh, real difficulty conceiving children, and so they had just embarked on the IVF journey. Um, but they were feeling very conflicted about it. And so they came to talk to my mom and dad, seek their advice and counsel. And my parents, God bless them, they didn't – I don't think they ever at any point in the conversation said do this and don't do that. But they just very gently uh, – they actively listened and then gently asked kind of like probing questions, you know, um, you know, what, well, what do you think about that? And what happens when you do that? So they, they got to a point where, you know, they were talking about in vitro and how the method they were about to use involved uh, creating little embryos in a Petri dish, implanting, let's say, like three or four, and then putting, uh, placing the rest in frozen storage. And so, um, you know, my parents just, again, very gently, very charitably asked, like, okay, and what do you think happens to those little embryos, you know, in frozen storage? You know, what's your what's your plan for them? And as they walked them through, it was as though um, the couple, like, they, they knew what they should do or should not do. They knew what they wanted to do, but they just felt so lost, and they felt hopeless and at the end of their rope. And so in coming to my parents who who had, had formed and, and been following their consciences, um, it just shed a little light on this couple's situation and gave them the courage and grace to choose the good and avoid the evil. And so they, they walked away from that conversation opting not to continue their IVF journey. Um, in a series of really miraculous events, they ended up uh, going on pilgrimage to Medjugorje, um, really encountered the Lord in a new and profound way and went on to conceive and bear, you know, two children after that. So when we as individuals, what this paragraph is saying is individuals, we, we form and follow our consciences. That helps others to form and follow theirs as well. Um, you know, some, sometimes, maybe oftentimes, when by the grace of God we live in the light and that light touches the darkness of other lives, they, they reject us and, and sometimes very awfully reject us. Um, but 
the beautiful effect that it can have is that it encourages and gives the the strength to others to form and follow their consciences as well, which then helps build up the whole community and makes it, in a sense, easier for everyone. Lastly, paragraph 1797 says, For the man who has committed evil, the verdict of his conscience remains a pledge of conversion and of hope. So we end on this this note of hope for the man who has committed evil. So we live in a fallen world. We are we suffer the effects of original sin in our individual lives um, and as a, a community. So when we fall, um, our conscience convicts us, can convict us if it's properly formed, that that was wrong, and God gives us the grace. Uh, to get back up and, and try again. So he gives us the gift of the sacrament of confession and gives us the grace of his healing forgiveness, gives us the grace to, to pick up and, and continue on uh, a different path, the path that leads to happiness. I had a professor in college, Dr. Ashey, who said, each of us will stop struggling with the wounds of original sin, with our concupiscence, 15 minutes after we're dead. <laughs> we were like, wait a minute. Are we still struggling after we're dead, standing, <laughs> looking God in the face? Um, but the point of, of him saying that is that it's, it's, it's hard. Uh, we're, we're in a state where it's difficult to, to know the truth and choose the good. But God gives us the grace, um, especially if we, we commit to that interiority, we commit to that daily prayer and formation uh, to, to listen to the voice of God so we can come to know who we are and for what, for whom we were created. Uh, the happiness for which each of us has been made. So we end this first half of the, half of the episode with a prayer, asking God to, to help us live our humanity well, to know the truth, choose the good, to avoid evil, so as to, to listen to his voice deep within us. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of our humanity, the gift of our rational intellects, of our free wills. We pray for the grace to go into the depths of our being, and to be present to you and to ourselves, to be not afraid, to be in the stillness, the quiet, um, to stand before you and allow you to stand before us. Give us the grace to form and follow our consciences each day. And for those times where we mess up, where we sin, where we fall, please convict us of our wrongdoing and give us the grace to turn back to you, to get back up and proceed down the path that leads to happiness. We thank you for loving us, for having a plan for each and every one of us and for being with us every moment of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We will take a brief break and then return on the second half to read paragraphs 1776 through 1802. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 1776 through 1802. Article 6, Moral Conscience. Deep within his conscience, man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice, ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil, sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. His conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. The judgment of conscience. Moral conscience, present at the heart of the person, enjoins him at the appropriate moment to do good and to avoid evil. 
It also judges particular choices, approving those that are good and denouncing those that are evil. It bears witness to the authority of truth in reference to the supreme good to which the human person is drawn, and it welcomes the commandments. When he listens to his conscience, the prudent man can hear God speaking. Conscience is a judgment of reason whereby the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act that he is going to perform, is in the process of performing, or has already completed. In all he says and does, man is obliged to follow faithfully what he knows to be just and right. It is by the judgment of his conscience that man perceives and recognizes the prescriptions of the divine law. Conscience is a law of the mind, yet Christians would not grant that it is nothing more. I mean that it was not a dictate, nor conveyed the notion of responsibility, of duty, of a threat and a promise. Conscience is a messenger of him, who, both in nature and in grace, speaks to us behind a veil, and teaches and rules us by his representatives. Conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. That was John Henry Cardinal Newman. It is important for every person to be sufficiently present to himself in order to hear and follow the voice of his conscience. This requirement of interiority is all the more necessary as life often distracts us from any reflection, self-examination, or introspection. Return to your conscience. Question it. Turn inward, brethren, and in everything you do, see God as your witness. The dignity of the human person implies and requires uprightness of moral conscience. Conscience includes the perception of the principles of morality, synderesis, their application in the given circumstances by practical discernment of reasons and goods, and finally, judgment about concrete acts yet to be performed or already performed. The truth about the moral good, stated in the law of reason, is recognized practically and concretely by the prudent judgment of conscience. We call that man prudent who chooses in conformity with this judgment. Conscience enables one to assume responsibility for the acts performed. If man commits evil, the just judgment of conscience can remain within him as a witness to the universal truth of the good, at the same time as the evil of his particular choice. The verdict of the judgment of conscience remains a pledge of hope and mercy. In attesting to the fault committed, it calls to mind the forgiveness that must be asked, the good that must still be practiced, and the virtue that must be constantly cultivated with the grace of God. We shall reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Man has the right to act in conscience and in freedom, so as personally to make moral decisions. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience. Nor must he be prevented from acting according to his conscience, especially in religious matters. The Formation of Conscience Conscience must be informed and moral judgment enlightened. A well-formed conscience is upright and truthful. It formulates its judgments according to reason, in conformity with the true good willed by the wisdom of the Creator. The education of conscience is indispensable for human beings who are subjected to negative influences and tempted by sin to prefer their own judgment and to reject authoritative teachings. The education of the conscience is a lifelong task. From the earliest years, it awakens the child to the knowledge and practice of the interior law recognized by conscience. Prudent education teaches virtue. It prevents or cures fear, selfishness, and pride, resentment arising from guilt, and feelings of complacency, born of human weakness and faults. The education of the conscience guarantees freedom and engenders peace of heart. In the formation of conscience, the word of God is the light for our path. We must assimilate it in faith and prayer and put it into practice. 
we must also examine our conscience before the Lord's cross. We are assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, aided by the witness or advice of others, and guided by the authoritative teaching of the Church. To choose in accord with conscience. Faced with a moral choice, conscience can make either a right judgment in accordance with reason and the divine law, or, on the contrary, an erroneous judgment that departs from them. Man is sometimes confronted by situations that make moral judgments less assured and decision difficult. But he must always seriously seek what is right and good and discern the will of God expressed in divine law. To this purpose, man strives to interpret the data of experience and the signs of the times assisted by the virtue of prudence, by the advice of competent people, and by the help of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Some rules apply in every case. One may never do evil so that good may result from it. The golden rule, whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. Charity always proceeds by way of respect for one's neighbor and his conscience. Thus sinning against your brethren and wounding their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, it is right not to do anything that makes your brother stumble. Erroneous judgment. A human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience. If he were deliberately to act against it, he would condemn himself. Yet it can happen that moral conscience remains in ignorance and makes erroneous judgments about acts to be performed or already committed. This ignorance can often be imputed to personal responsibility. This is the case when a man takes little trouble to find out what is true and good, or when conscience is by degrees almost blinded through the habit of committing sin. In such cases, the person is culpable for the evil he commits. Ignorance of Christ and his gospel, bad example given by others, enslavement to one's passions, assertion of a mistaken notion of autonomy of conscience, rejection of the church's authority and her teaching, lack of conversion, and of charity. These can be at the source of errors of judgment in moral conduct. If, on the contrary, the ignorance is invincible, or the moral subject is not responsible for his erroneous judgment, the evil committed by the person cannot be imputed to him. It remains no less an evil, a privation, a disorder. One must therefore work to correct the errors of moral conscience. A good and pure conscience is enlightened by true faith. For charity proceeds at the same time from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. The more a correct conscience prevails, the more do persons and groups turn aside from blind choice and try to be guided by objective standards of moral conduct. In brief, conscience is man's most secret core and his sanctuary. There he is alone with God, whose voice echoes in his depths. Conscience is a judgment of reason by which the human person recognizes the moral quality of a concrete act. For the man who has committed evil, the verdict of his conscience remains a pledge of conversion and of hope. A well-formed conscience is upright and truthful. It formulates its judgments according to reason, in conformity with the true good, willed by the wisdom of the Creator. Everyone must avail himself of the means to form his conscience. Faced with a moral choice, conscience can make either a right judgment in accordance with reason and the divine law, or, on the contrary, an erroneous judgment that departs from them. A human being must always obey the certain judgment of his conscience. Conscience can remain in ignorance or make erroneous judgments. Such ignorance and errors are not always free of guilt. The word of God is a light for our path. We must assimilate it in faith and prayer and put it into practice. This is how moral conscience is formed. This brings us to the end of our episode, the end of our reading selection. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between this week and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast and on Facebook under Rebecca Doherty. 
Please pray for me. I will be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.